Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a while. Hi, it's Jackie Cation. Welcome to the dark forest. I'm out in the world, out in the world in New York City, uh, dark foresting it. And, uh, you know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com. Patrick Brady, he's gonna fix this audio. It's a little echoey. Welcome to the world. Vilmos, uh, he's, uh, fixing the website. Mike Rickberg just sang that song you heard. He'll sing again at the end. And, uh, as always, there's merch to be purchased, uh, at JackieCation.com and a donation button. Knock yourselves out if you're enjoying the show. And that's about it. Let's get right to it. Uh, we have here, uh, Melora Kreger. And Mark Anderson, who, I don't know you guys. This is exciting to me. Mark, I met, um, cause you're, uh, contract writer. writer dude. Yeah. And, um, where there was some Delta Sky Miles talk. That's right. <laughs> it was a, More or less. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, yeah. And then, uh, you were like, I would like to be on the Dork Forest. I have, uh, I love Shakespeare, except for it wasn't written by Shakespeare. <laughs> and you said, and this is my friend, Melora who also likes Shakespeare, but it wasn't written by Shakespeare. Yeah, and she's done a show. And she's done a show about it. I did a, a musically-oriented program. What? Uh, uh, what is... Uh, tell me more. Tell me your website and then and um, and every, and everything about it. Well, I have a group called Rasputina, and we are rock cellists and singers. And I've had this group I am in love, yes. Already? Yes, already. <laughs> I'm on board. Let's do this. Uh, I've done this for about 20 years now, and uh, we've made a lot of records, and we tour a lot, but it's uh, it's just unclassifiable, uh, so it's like that. <laughs> it's its yeah, own thing. People, we're a beloved secret for our fans, Oh, you know, like a, a culty kind of thing. Sure, sure. It's I'm a well-kept secret myself in the world of stand-up comedy. So um, so was Bach, and so was Emily Dickinson, and that keeps me going. Oh, that does keep you going. So it's uh, spell R- Rasputina. R-A-S-P-U-T-I-N-A. And I will link it in the notes. And so you're in New York doing shows. Um, this is our first show we did with something very different, which is uh, some music from the Renaissance by a composer named Thomas Wilkes, and this magical music. Okay. You know, like Christmas, blah, 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 oh, okay. kind of stuff. But uh, it's really intense music, and it's uh, really unheard for over 400 years. People haven't listened to this music, and uh, there's a lot of mystery to it, and it's related to Shakespeare, related to uh, the Earl of Oxford, and it was a very exciting show last night, and there's a lot of visuals. It's kind of mixed with, we're like Renaissance Kiss doing rock cello magicals. <laughs> yes! That's in a nutshell. In a nutshell, I like it wrapped up. Uh, yeah, kind of Elizabethan, something. Like that. Yeah, Elizabethan. Oh, there's a T-shirt. There's a there's a buzzword. That's so great. Okay, so this Earl of Oxford. Um, Who was he? Right. Talk to me, Mark Anderson. Well, okay, so so where I come into the story, I guess, is yes. I wrote a book, and it's called Shakespeare by Another Name, <laughs> and that came out in 2005, and that is... Um, be in the notes. That's kind of... Yeah, that, that'll be in the notes, too, I'm sure, but um, but that was um, kind of summarizing the case that has been around for almost a century, um, that this cat who was kind of, who was in the Elizabethan court, uh, a court poet, people were talking about him. He was a brilliant writer. They said he's written all these great plays, but we don't have any of them. 
by by him, his name is Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford. Okay. So he was like he was kind of a member of the court, right? But he was also like Hamlet. He was also staging plays at court. Okay, but no one has any record of his stuff. That's essentially correct. There's some footnotes to that, but that's okay. more or less correct. It seems like he's been he was eradicated from the records, like his, his, so many letters missing and the plays missing. Well, seems like he was eradicated. <clears throat> yeah, not not entirely though, and and in fact, the, the the traces of him that we have are so manifestly Shakespearean, and this brings in a much larger question that has been around for much longer, which is that people in the Elizabethan age, and you know, so in the late. 1500s, early 1600s, there was this sort of, there are all these rumors that, um, that Shakespeare, the brand, the name, right. the name on the title page, yeah. um, is some kind of a put up job. I mean, there are people like Robert Green who's writing this book called Green's Groatsworth of Wit, and he says, this guy is basically a pretender. And this is, and Ben Johnson, the, this famous uh, dramatist, writes this whole poem called On Poet Ape, and he's basically, it seems like he's, I mean, he's talking about somebody who's an actor right. who is uh, pretending, essentially, to be this great writer. And it sounds a lot like Shakespeare. And so people have been saying, like, Walt Whitman and Mark Twain, all these people throughout the years have been saying, you know what, Shakespeare, we got the wrong story, we've got the wrong guy. And in 1920 along came someone who said it's the Earl of Oxford. Okay, in 1920, a guy said that it was... Yeah, and so I just sat down in the early 2000s and I wrote his biography, Cradle to Grave, from the point of view, okay, if he were Shakespeare, this is what his life would have been. That's Shakespeare by another name, and uh, And that that whole story... That was the first real biography of Devere... Well, it was the first biography of De Vere as Shakespeare. There, there, there are, there are sort of traditional biographies that, that set the Shakespeare question aside, or there's one that's oh, kind really? of antithetical to it. But this was the first that just embraced it and, you know, just ran with it. And what I found is page after page, paragraph after paragraph, his life was Shakespearean in every sense of the way, and I can go into that. Really intense. Right. And, and I have strong feelings, and with my show, as an artist, like, uh, the, an artist, always writes about themselves and their psychology. And right. the songs I write, I never write about uh, myself. They're historically based. Okay. But, you know, I'm always in there because that's the only way you can make things. Right. That's your perspective. It has to yeah. It has to come from somewhere. Yeah, it has to be in there. You can't just, as an artisan or a craftsman, make these things, which is how people take the historical William Shakespeare, that he was cranking out the plays, that he was, you know, a right. guy making incredible literature. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't compute that it just sort of the working class actor guy becomes. You, I, I, but when you know about uh, Edward de Vere's life, it's just like that's how art is made. His life was so intense. He's working out his psychology. That was his reality. Like you know, the bastardy birthrights, betrayal, incest. Right. You know, that was his reality. That he's. You know, working it out, like all the stuff. Right, all that inbreeding from. nobility business. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. That's where he came from, <laughs> as opposed to where Shakespeare came <laughs> Right, and so then, <laughs> and, uh, so where did, I mean, the guy that was Shakespeare, was that a real guy? That, yeah, yeah I'll, I, I, I would, I would add to what Melora said that, um, like, like most people, you know, I came up as a writer, you know, thinking, okay, well, Shakespeare was Shakespeare, you know, why else would, why would you question it, you know? And, but I never felt a connection, um, uh, to the works. It just felt like, you know, this kind of abstract, you know, monument, this abstract, um, 
thing that that I that everybody knows and agrees. I mean, these are the greatest works in the English language, but I never really felt a like I never felt a personal connection to it because it always seems so. There, okay. there, there was never. It's not like he was. Yeah, he's writing from the perspective. Uh, you know, like Hamlet is about ambition, or you know, or Macbeth is about you know, or I mean, Macbeth is about ambition, or Hamlet is you know. I mean, like all these abstract concepts. No, I mean, writers write from personal experience and right. personal. Like it's 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 in there. It's in their lives, and and I. And I didn't know it at the time when I was kind of getting started as a writer that that there was this other point of view. But once I I came upon it, it was you know it was like kind of a light bulb moment. Like oh okay, well it's true for Shakespeare too. I mean you you go into a writing class and the first day in class, what does the teacher tell you? Write what you know. Right. And that is what Oxfordians Oxfordians is the term of art for what Sweet. we are yes. Earl of Oxford. So yes. we say, you know, he was the primary author behind these works. So this is what Oxfordians say is is that it's true for Shakespeare too. Write what you know. So that um so that for instance, um so Shakespeare uh was an actor, he was a money broker, he was a money lender, but there's all this scuttlebutt at the time saying, Well, he's kind of a fraud. Like he's he the, like this poet ape was thing he, is saying Was he the fraud or was he just a front for Or yeah, or, or maybe a front might be a better or yeah. might might be a more appropriate term. I mean like even even in the um uh as recently as like the nineteen fifties, the blacklists in Hollywood, you had right. screenwriters like Dalton Trumbo who would hire frontmen to say that they wrote his screenplays, and because in fact, he was a because he was he, he was he was blacklisted, yeah. And and I mean, even like yeah. uh, Roman Holiday, that Audrey Hepburn yeah. movie, um, he wrote the story for it, but he hired somebody else to to say that they you know to take the right. credit. That person won an Academy Award, um, right? And <clears throat> so you know, was this that is, person considered to be a bit of a, a May December. Creepy writer. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know the Dalton Trumbo story well enough to comment. But I'm just saying that frontmen have been used before. But but I'm I'm saying this has happened before right. in, in in recent history. And what the yes. Oxfordians are saying is this happened also 400 years ago with the greatest works of English literature. And there are some very powerful reasons why you know we was uh, there speculation that. Um, Okay, I have two questions, first yeah. of all. So, William Shakespeare existed for reals. Yes. Okay. He was born of woman. Uh, <laughs> what do we know about him? What do we know about his early well, days? Well, his generations of illiteracy are like a pretty key point to... So he came from unlettered him. folk. Yeah, he although I and, and passed it down. <clears throat> I, I would I would say no no one can control who, who your parents are, but you can control sure. what you do with your life. And so um, so yeah, I mean it, it seems like he was. Uh, was his dad a baker? His dad was a glove maker, uh, according to uh, as far as we can tell. And he was uh, raised in London. He was raised in Stratford on Avon. Okay. Um, born oh. in 1564, um, and uh, and then supposedly moved to London in the 1590s. Although we don't really have straw, we don't have a lot of records of his life. Mark Twain wrote a brilliant book called "Is Shakespeare Dead?" Mark Twain is another heretic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> along with along with Whitman, who thinks you know we got the wrong guy. Okay. Um, and Mark Twain, right? In fact, you can get it on Google Books. Um, it's it's oh, uh, it was it was it 1909. Um, is when it came out, so it's copyright free at this point. It's oh, called okay. Is Shakespeare Dead? Um, and it's very funny and, and, you know, classic Twain. Um, and he just, uh, Twain uh, just goes off about, you know, how 
silly this whole kind of Santa Claus myth that we've built up around Shakespeare is. And really, I mean, the, the, the documents of his life, you can list in just a couple pages. Um, okay. and, um, and no, we nothing know about Shakespeare is, is, can, can be sort of a short litany. Just a very, like, yeah, these yeah, are you the can, 19 things that we know about William Shakespeare the man. And, right. And, and any <clears throat> biographies that are written about him is, are mostly, Filling in with like Elizabethan times were like this. Shakespeare's oh. day was like this. It's like right. filler. Well, oh, okay, stuff. okay. Yeah. Well, as Twain said, um, Shakespeare is a brontosaur. He's nine bones and eight hundred barrels of plaster of Paris. Okay, so. <laughs> that's a great line. Yeah, <laughs> that crazy Twain. Yeah, he was. He, he was really good. good. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> Let's take a stand. Uh, like <laughs> Going on a limb. It's yeah. A, so what about the Earl of Avon? Uh, the, the Earl of Oxford. Oxford. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so people like Twain, like, like Walt Whitman, um, uh, uh, there have been a number of writers and thinkers and Mar- Sigmund Freud got into this. Um, uh, people who have just said, you know, this just does not make sense what we have. Right. And then in 1920, this guy comes along. He's a, he teaches, he's taught Shakespeare for a lifetime. Um, and he just kind of did a, basically a forensic investigation into, okay, here we have the Shakespeare canon. The author is telling us about his life in his works, so what can we infer from the canon? And let's go back to the records and find the guy that is well, described like in the canon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, this author must have been, uh, you know, respected as a poet. He must have been, like, what were, you must know the list of qualities. Like he had a specific list. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a litany of about twenty points. Like yeah. He, ha- he has to have these these this information. He has to have this life experience. Yeah, very specific. He has to have. You're yeah. Right. And just like to pick one specific example, um, there are about a dozen plays, a dozen Shakespeare plays that are set in Italy. Okay. And and Italian scholars have looked at some of these plays. And said, wow, he seems to know our culture quite well. He seems to know the geography quite well, like down to really, really arcane stuff. Right. Um, now there are modern day critics who say, oh, well, Shakespeare didn't really know Italy because of this and that. Okay. Um, but the interest, there's a, actually a recent book that came out called, I think it's called Shakespeare's Guide to Italy, where the author, where this guy went and he just traced every single Shakespearean reference in, I mean, every right, Italian right. reference in Shakespeare. And he found almost Without exception, it's the critics who are ignorant. And okay. that Shakespeare got so many specific facts about Italy right. And the incredible thing is, it's not like he's portraying the whole region of Italy. There are very specific places. You know, it's Verona and Venice and Naples and so on. It's so like where the courts are and where it's the... Where, well, where De Vere went on his trip. That, that, on that's, his the trip. that's the thing. That's the thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes... All right. That, that, okay. So it's basically like you take you can take pushpins on a map and like where is Shakespeare's Italy? That is essentially Edward De Vere's Ports of Call in okay. his known Italian travels. In his known Italian travels. He, he bought so, a house in Venice and he toured around Italy for the better part of a year. Okay. And, uh, and all of his... His sort of stops and ports of call just happened to be the exact same places that Shakespeare portrays so convincingly okay. in his Italian place. That's one tiny example right. of what Orson, Orson Welles, another another heretic, said. You know, I think Oxford wrote Shakespeare. If you don't, there are some awful funny coincidences to explain away. Okay, <clears throat> and it's uh, like there's there's nothing to support the historical William Shakespeare, and there's reams to support the Earl of Oxford. Okay, but, but it's like a. Social, it's kind of a socially unacceptable position. Yeah, you're going to get hate mail for this, Jackie. I no, no, I'll tell you something. I, I told people, I said, 
yeah, I'm going to talk to these uh, these people who think that uh, the Earl of somebody wrote uh, Shakespeare, and they're like, oh, I read about that. What are they? What's happening? And it makes uh, people feel weird. I've had right responses where it's, you know, people some people are like, why do you talk care? about it? Yeah, or and something a lot of people say, and often it's actors is like, it doesn't matter. We have the right. work. Well, it does matter because it gives it a lot of depth. You know, right. this other fascinating guy rather than this boring guy. Like, right. It does it does matter. And if it doesn't matter who wrote the greatest you know literature the greatest of the work, world, then why do we read any biography of anyone? Like it does yeah. matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah, well I, I think that, I think that there is there is a uh, there is a fascination with I mean can, do you think you can read Shakespeare and not care? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And most and <clears throat> um I mean I, I think you know, we can all appreciate Shakespeare, whoever he was, and right. we all do, yeah. um, in, in, you know, in many ways. But I, but what I think the Oxfordians are adding is this whole new layer and level where it's like, okay, if you go see Long Day's Journey into Night and you know nothing about Eugene O'Neill, you can still appreciate Long Day's Journey into Night. But when you realize, oh my God, this guy is portraying every intimate detail of his Fucked up family. If I right. can, <laughs> I think I can use yeah, that. You can. You can. <laughs> we're a we're a family podcast. No, she's a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but she might have heard the word. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, there there is a whole new level of that play that you can appreciate when you begin to learn about O'Neill. Right. And what so, Oxfordians are saying is that is that. Shakespeare is contrary to what most scholars are saying was one of the most autobiographical uh authors certainly of that age. Right, it was yeah. it's, it's sort of I mean when you read um, I I read a, a fair amount of science fiction and you can take your you can take whatever world you have and stick it on another planet but it's still going to be a reflection of of whatever life you led or whatever things you think about. Sure. Because it, it can't be anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's you, not denying an act of imagination. Right. You know, I think people that might be bothered by this, uh, just, you know, to say that an artist puts himself in their thing, it's not denying imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, well, that, I mean, that's kind of fast. Here's, here's, uh, here's what I'll be admitting. Uh, I have seen one Shakespeare, maybe three, maybe three Shakespeare plays. And I've tried to read them and I've tried, and I've read none of the sonnets. And none of the poems. No, the sonnets are my favorite. They are. I, okay. I was so, never interested in Shakespeare, I think, because I didn't, couldn't get that human feeling. Like, I love biography. I love to just, you know, if the, if the person is fascinating, it does inform the stuff and make it really right. exciting. Shakespeare was just never interesting to me, but, uh, I did get really excited about this because I was just captivated by the Earl of Oxford and how it changed everything. And then I read the sonnets, and that was like, it was written yesterday. It's like a person just wrote it. There's nothing can, archaic. Is it poetry? Or, uh, yeah, but it's, Okay. I don't, is it an can, can, can I give some examples? Sure. Well, I mean, please give me examples. <laughs> okay. You. So, um, so. Uh, what what Malora was saying, I, I think, is is to me the the real trump card of what the Oxfordians hold here, that um, that we're not 
again, we're not denying the, the universality of this, the imagination of this, but what we're saying is these are coming from a real deeply felt human place. Right. All of these poems, all of these plays, the sonnets, the, the epic poems, even the obscure stuff, you can essentially, for every play and poem, except for probably the Shakespeare history plays, which are on a different mission, they're kind of propagandizing the, the, the Tudor state. They're like, because the, essentially the Tudors came in. Here's I'm I'm, I'm going to go off on a little tear on the Tudors. <laughs> the, the Tudors came in um, on a basically on a coup d'état. Like they overthrew this sitting king, Richard the Third. Um, and right. and how can you get away with that? Well, you've got to completely villainize the the, the past administration to to yeah, to demonstrate to that a, you're like well we're the rightful history. people. We should be ruling. You know, yes. England. You got, it's a Kissinger-like moment. I never went into Laos. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's what the history plays are. That's part of the mission of the history plays is they're propagandizing the Tudor state. These thugs who came in and overthrew a sitting king. Is there speculation that Shakespeare, like Shakespeare, might have been written by several people because of that? I think I there's, remember. <clears> yeah, there's the, what's called the groupist that? theory. But to okay. me, um, when I read you know the whole canon, there is a single consciousness, sort of a single overriding Even perspective. In the uh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, there is a voice. There is a, and, I'll, and I'd love to read actually a sample of De Vere's, a, a, a known letter of Edward De Vere, not as Shakespeare, but just a letter of Edward De Vere, just to give you a sense of his Shakespearean voice, which I'll do, in the, which I'd be happy to do Where, too. Well, what but I, I wanted, I wanted to give some okay. examples. Um, <clears throat> so, so, oh yeah, okay. You I was ready? just going to ask, what are for people who like myself? Who uh, do not know what you're... I mean, obviously, you must be speaking of Richard III. Yeah, Richard III. And what are the other historical plays? So there's the Henrys, like Henry VI. There's Henry V, the famous one with uh, the Battle of Agincourt and things like that. Um, there's uh, the, the Falstaff plays, of the two Henry IV plays. There's a Richard II play and a Henry VIII and a King John, and that's essentially the, the whole history canon. Okay. So it's mostly about the Wars of the Roses with some other exceptions. Um but my point about the, his, the Shakespeare history plays is they are kind of they, they are telling kind of national propaganda, and right. and I think this is part of the reason why. And this is actually the, one of the most the, the most prominent question that I get when I talk about this subject is why. If let's just say Devere actually wrote this stuff, why would he do it? Why would he hide behind okay. this name? And my short answer is sex and politics. That he's writing about all of these powerful people and writing very damning and and compromising things about them so he has to kind snarky. of yeah. yeah 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 i mean it becomes some of it is absolutely brilliant satire but the reason that elizabeth the queen elizabeth is the reigning monarch of his time put up with it is that he also wrote brilliant propaganda for the state and so and it was kind of a he started getting paid a thousand pounds a year <clears> at a very certain point and it's like Oh, it's, it's, like oh, it's the money that came out of nowhere. In well, he, the, Elizabeth started giving him money at the at age thirty six, around the time when you start to see some of these history plays okay. starting to pop up. Now, I, I think that is it turns out that's somewhat complicated because he was also just he was downwardly mobile throughout his life. He was very <laughs> born rich and just getting poorer and poorer because he ran through money like crazy. Um, it, it seems like <clears throat> he was making these plays for many years at a period earlier than what we think of William Shakespeare. Okay. And that, you know, he was the, the entertainment guy for the court and making these plays. And it seems to me that they're the they're earlier versions of what we know as the great Shakespeare that when he was older, he was, you know, living in the suburbs, turned, you know, fine-tuning it, honing it, turning it into what we know as the great literature. Okay. But earlier, that these were the... The, the enter- drafts? The entertainments. 
you know, lighter things or, you know, earlier oh, right, work. Right. And people also say, like, there's no early work for William Shakespeare. Well, it was probably these, you know, these early versions that were done for the court. And uh, I think that the music that I'm working with could have been the music for these for these plays. So is there is this is this um, Earl of Oxford early work that is published? No, this is that you're talking about. This is mysterious. This is, stuff. this is still stuff that is uncredited or it's credited to Shakespeare. It doesn't exist. We, we, we have. We don't have. It. Yeah, we we have okay. some of his early lyrics. I mean, we know that he wrote like songs and things like that too. So we have some of his early lyrics, and we some of them are good. Talk that he wrote all the time. There's a, like people every, saying he's the greatest for comedy. For okay, people, people talking about it. Yeah, back at back then. Around him back then was saying. You gotta, you gotta hear about, you gotta do this, but we don't have any hard copy. We don't yeah. have an, or we don't have a sizable amount. Yeah, I mean, like one, well, there was kind of one, one book of commentary that was talking about a lot of the works coming out of court. Be, this was kind of the golden age of pseudonyms and mm-hmm. of, of kind of secret concealed identities because there was, because there was so much political ferment at the time. It was so dangerous to write under your own name that a lot of people wrote anonymously and took pseudonyms. So DeVere wouldn't be the only one. The but Protestant Reformation <clears throat> right around then? Too, yeah, right? it was just before then. It was okay. still it was still boiling at that right, time. Right, yeah. It was big. And that was also another part of the reason why this was so dangerous because Queen Elizabeth was basically, she had a fatwa on her head, essentially. Like the, the Catholic Church <laughs> right, said right. you could go to heaven, do not pass go, do not collect 200 dollars if right. you assassinate Queen Elizabeth, the heretic Queen Elizabeth. So the indulgences galore. Yeah, no, I mean it was I, this is serious stuff and there yeah. were there were real threats on her life and and you don't you don't you know you tread lightly in in running against kind of the the, the virgin queen mythology that they had put forward right. and yet the Shakespeare canon is portraying Elizabeth from an Oxfordian point of view as sometimes this rather desperate clawing vixen in Venus and Adonis a practically pornographic poem I mean um, it's portraying her as as this another desperate monarch Cleopatra and Antony and Cleopatra De Vere sat on the jury that tried Mary Queen of Scots and and condemned her to death but it was Elizabeth that signed the execution order. That's what's going on in Macbeth. She's got the blood of an anointed monarch on her hands. She is Lady Macbeth. And this is what the author is, you know, he's accusing her. So if she's Lady Macbeth, that's obviously not direct. Those other two um, things that you mentioned. Yeah. The pornographic poem. Right, the pornographic. Is that by name? And she said, no, 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 no. she's, she, she is alluded to. Yeah. I mean, Venus and Adonis, I mean, she is portrayed as the character Venus and she is portrayed as the character Cleopatra. And I think, you know, there are definitely overtones of Queen Elizabeth as the character Lady Macbeth and okay. as Gertrude in, in Hamlet. But that's, it doesn't end there. I mean, the whole court, all the power players in the Elizabethan state are being satirized, sometimes brutally, viciously, in satirically, all... in these works. And so you, so... you could take the history tome, you could take the works, and go, oh, well, this is Jim, and that's Larry, yeah, and that's yeah. Absolutely. And everyone at the time knew who it was, like, oh, Larry, you know, that was a... <laughs> well, I think when you say everyone, I think you'd, everyone at court, I think yeah, it was yeah. kind of the polite, a polite secret, but then you have kind of these concentric circles of knowledge where people at the periphery of the court are yeah. starting to hint at, you know, like the one of basically like... The, probably the Lenny Bruce of the Elizabethan age, the satirist named Thomas Nash, he's buddies with DeVere and he writes all these, there's so many of these works, they're talking about the Shakespeare controversy, but people are completely, a lot of people are blind to it today because they don't 
have the key that unlocks the door. Right. Like once, once you, once you start to realize, holy, you know, these people are talking about this like crazy. Thomas Nash is a perfect example. Like his satires, he's constantly talking about Devere. He dedicates a book to Devere, but he doesn't say, you know, I dedicate this book to my good friend Edward Devere, Lord Great Chamberlain of England. He's calls him Gentle Master William. That's and and it's like there are all these references in this dedication where it's very clear it's the Earl of Oxford who's talking about his his heraldic crest and all these things that are very specific to Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford, but he doesn't name him as Edward de Vere. He calls him Gentle Master William. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Okay. So he's in other words calling de Vere, will you know Gentle Master William. Okay. Another poem, this poem called Willoughby his his avisa or his avisa. Um, is joking about Devere and his second wife. And again, very specific references where you can, where if you know these characters, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're actually lampooning Devere and his, and his wife. Whatever. But his first wife. Uh, his first wife died, uh, in childbirth. Oh. Yeah, mysteriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's plenty of that in the canon too. His first <laughs> troubled marriage is all over the Shakespeare canon. Um, okay. But, um, but that's, uh, but let, let me just finish the, the reference to this, this other poem. Um, it's clear that Devere is being satirized in his wife, but he's being named not as Edward Devere or Earl of Oxford or any of that stuff. W.S. are the initials they refer to him. In as. which play? In which book? It's a book, it's a poem called Willoughby His Avisa. Okay. Um, so, Gentle Master William, W.S. Sure. Okay, we're starting to get a picture here. Right, right. But, well, and, and the thing is, is, is <clears throat> like, I, I don't have a horse in this race. Right? Understood. It's, uh, I, uh, I, I'm on board. I'm, uh, I, I'm okay. This is, I, this I, I, the, the uh, Dork Forest is a safe oh, place. Oh, it's the right? safest space in the world. Sa- safe space, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, you yeah, really, yeah. you want to knit a mile-long scarf? <laughs> Do it. It's, uh, Diva Zappa is going to come on and talk about knitting. <laughs> so, I was like, yeah, I'm on board, but it's, um... It is fascinating. So what are your, let's see, where are we at? Okay, we're at 30 minutes. So let's, I wanna, um, what I'm genuinely curious about kind of is your favorite, like what should I be reading? Like, should, start with Hamlet. Hamlet? Hamlet is, um. Now, Hamlet has been assigned. I have been, uh, I have read Hamlet. Well, or, okay, or just, um, well, like, 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 rent, like, about Mark's book. That's what got me into the whole thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I saw the movie Anonymous. That's a, that's a big deal on right? the subject. Um, and that's what really started me. And then the next thing I read was Mark's book, and which no, no, I well, I'll definitely. Okay, so plug time. You can get Shakespeare by another name on Kindle. It's uh, less than the price of a movie ticket, and you will be off into a whole new world. Into off into a whole new world, and it probably has a reference to a million Shakespeare works. Yeah, or the Earl of Ox- Oxfordian works, uh, but the um, that that people can go into. And, and read. I mean, it, it gives you, I mean, I, I think from my, from my perspective, that the Oxfordian kind of take on Shakespeare gives you a whole new Shakespeare. I mean. Well, read the Devere thing. Okay. All right. So, um, so Devere, we, we have some of his early poems. We have all these references to him as a playwright, but we don't have his plays. But we do have these letters that he wrote to his, to his in-laws. His in-laws were the most powerful family in England. So he, he was married. raised as an orphan in the court by the Secretary of State. Yeah, like the queen was basically his stepmother. As and then from a child, he grew was up he there. the first Earl of Oxford? Seventeenth. He was the oldest family in the. The, land. the, the, the oldest, like the, the Veres were the oldest family in the. Well, land. the oldest. Let's say the the oldest. The, most no, the oldest. What happened to his no, Noble lineage. Yeah, 
see. No, I get it. Yeah. His father died mysteriously. We've got to admit, his father died mysteriously. All right. And then he came under control of the queen and her secretary of state. Uh-huh. And grew up there okay. as an ear to everything happening at the sure. center. Well, yeah, and I guess if, if I was talking about Hamlet, I mean, Hamlet is... I mean, in a very autobiographical canon, Hamlet is, I think, the most autobiographical. It is the most personal play. He was raised... He was a spooky uncle. He was yeah. a child prodigy. And right. I think uh, he was like Elizabeth's pet, you know, like take, he was, His, you know, hilarious, like her favorite. Like one-liner, yeah. gorgeous kid, yeah. you know, he was... I mean, the, the, the queen was his stepmother. Yeah. Okay. The queen was essentially his stepmother, but I think he also, you know, there were times he had, he was rumored to have an affair with Elizabeth. So there's your kind of Oedipal, you know, sure. you know, uh, relationship between Hamlet and the queen. Years older than him. But the thing is, the, the Polonius in, in Hamlet, the, the chief counselor of the Danish court, okay. that was his father-in-law. I mean, that was also his step, I mean, or his, his guardian. And that he, character He married his guardian's daughter. By, it's accepted by all different sides. Would yeah, I mean, it's pretty widely, it. uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been pretty widely argued. Oh, okay. That, that Polonius is based on this, this on, guy. On that very man. And on it this makes very one man. of them really bad. Okay. So, and of course, Polonius has a daughter. This guy had a daughter. They get. Reread me some shit. And he married, he married his stepfather, his, his secretary of state foster father's daughter. Like, he was kind of forced to marry his stepsister. Right. And, and then she died in childbirth. And then who did he marry after that? I wonder. Uh, well, that was uh, just gossip. The, the, I, let's I let's bring in let's bring in let's bring in another work while we're at it, right? So so or let's bring in two. Um, so he had a really rocky relationship. Like his first marriage was a train wreck. He didn't um, want to marry his sister. He just didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> who does? Uh, who does? <laughs> Nobody. I don't care if you're not actually related. But if you're raised as <laughs> brother and sister, you're like creep factor. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So so he so he goes off to Italy. Um, and he has these big, crazy adventures in Italy, and then he comes back, and his wife gives birth to a child when he's in Italy. Wait a second. Uh, let's do the math here. Um, was he gone over a year? Well, that's the question. When was this girl born? Yeah. And so he doesn't know when he's coming back. Thank is God this child? <laughs> is this child mine? And right. he has a servant as he's coming home, and his servant is basically whispering in his ear, like, your wife has been completely... She's cheated on you. This is right. not your child and all this stuff. And he comes back and it is another disaster where he is just, he is outraged and it's just this court scandal. Right. This is the, this is the seeds of Othello, you know, okay. the jealous, you know, the servant who is infecting, you know, the, the main Whispering. character with these a- intimations of jealousy. A piece of paper where the father-in-law was like trying to do the math. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, like this it's, month, you know, this it's month and, I, uh, like, like a piece of paper with the guy. You know, Othello or like, for the, re- for no, reals? the reals? No, Secretary of State Father. Oh, okay. Like him trying to figure out the math backwards of like, okay, this date, I told him she was pregnant and the baby was born here. The, the thing right? is, he, he actually claimed before he left for Italy, he said, if my, if my wife gives birth while I'm out of town, I wasn't the father. <laughs> Weird. Because <laughs> he, because basically once he got into this marriage, I think he soon wanted out, but he couldn't get out yeah, for various it, reasons. The whole bed trick thing well, okay, so, so he comes okay. back <laughs> and, and are awesome. <laughs> he comes <laughs> back. I was too, I was too like excited. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now you go. And then <laughs> yeah, so, so he comes back and he says, what the hell? You gave birth while I was out of the country. 
Who's the, sure. who's the daddy? Right. And she says, you, uh, you, uh, we, we slept together, but you were drunk and you didn't know it. Oh. oh my God! Oh really? Hello, lots children. Um, uh, this is the, the the bed trick is it, the bed trick is kind of the central plot device in the Shakespeare plays Measure for Measure and All's Well That Ends Well. Um, okay. That 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 I whole have crazy. Not done either of those. Well, right. They're, they're pretty. They're they're more obscure. Although I think Measure for Measure it's one of my favorite plays. It's, is it? It's just an is amazing. Is it a comedy? It's it's a tragic comedy. I suppose you could say. Does everyone die at the end? Uh, not everyone. No. Okay. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> but I, I would, I would still stick with my original thing of Hamlet. Start with Hamlet. Um, and, um. Can we read Hamlet first? Yeah. Well, I don't know. This is entire, yeah, yeah, this is, this may be a little self-serving, but, but get, but, you know, get to know the Earl of Oxford first. And then I think you'll find, I think you'll find it, the, the play starts to, there, there are new resonances that, that, that come, that, that come in, but okay. you, you you wanted me to read a little bit of, yeah, yeah, of Devere's letters. So we we do have um, these letters that he wrote to his in laws throughout his life. Um, now his in laws are this kind of you know by the books. They were parents um, too. So oh really? Yeah. Glam, you know, glam arts, and they're you know stuffy pants. Right. Yeah, yeah. Their so, shirts and yeah, everything. exactly. <laughs> Fine. Um, and and so they, um, so it, it was it was a rocky relationship from the get go. So when he's writing these letters to his in laws, it's not like he's going to compose these, you know, uh, these beautiful poems because it'll be completely lost on them. Nevertheless, this is a spontaneous composition near the end of his life. Queen Elizabeth dies in 1603, and he's writing to his brother-in-law, reflecting on who um, is the new Secretary of State, right? Who's the new from his father, and it's supposed to be very okay. All right. So, so here he is writing about and reflecting on the Elizabethan age, on the life of life and reign of Queen Elizabeth, who had just recently died. Okay. You see, he writes to his brother-in-law, Duvere says, I cannot but find a great grief in myself to remember the mistress which we have lost, under whom both you and myself from our greenest years have been in a manner brought up. And although it hath pleased, pleased God, after an earthly kingdom, to take her up into a more permanent and hem- heavenly state, wherein I do not doubt but she is crowned with glory, yet the long time which we spend in her, in her service we cannot look for so much left of our days as to bestow upon another. In this common shipwreck, mine is above all the rest, who least regarded, though often comforted, of all her followers, she hath left to try my fortune among the alterations of time and chance, either without sail, whereby to take advantage of any prosperous gale, or without anchor, to ride till the storm be overpassed. That's pretty. That's yeah. That's, that's a, Shakespeare. That's that's Edward <laughs> Devere writing to his brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, you notice he's using the metaphors of tempest and prosperous gales, mm-hmm. um, uh, in reference to the death of Queen Elizabeth. I think what's going on in the tempest is it's uh, this satirical reflection on the Elizabethan age. This rebellion that had just happened, where somebody tried to overthrow the queen, is is um sort of fantastically represented in the tempest as this as this crazy little rebellion of these characters Stefano Trinculo and and Caliban. So you've got all of these Elizabethan kind of overtones to the tempest. The tempest is often said um I, I should I should add that that yeah. the number one objection to the Oxfordian theory is that Edward de Vere died in 1604 and they say that many of these works were written after 1604. 
Okay. Um, but that's actually, I think, um, on closer examination, this, this objection is actually a much, it's, it's actually a, an argument for the Earl of Oxford because when you look at when these plays were written, like you look at what's the evidence for, you know, The Tempest, what's the evidence for Macbeth, what's the right. evidence for King Lear? Time and again, you keep running up against 1604. It's like, Everything shuts down after 1604. He stops referring to new works. He stops referring to contemporary events. He stops using sources. Um, okay, so it's very much like Tupac. Like they're just pu- they're they're, they're yeah. pushing stuff after. Yeah, yeah. Do okay. you think that's how the multiple <clears throat> authors theory gets started? Like, yeah, he died, and you know, relatives or coworkers or people are still trying to you know finish his things or put it out. Or right, stuff's still going on, and that's how other hands can get. Can get, can get into the pot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think the, the 1604 thing is a very, another very strong argument for De Vere because it's just this arbitrary line. Why does the Shakespeare factory just almost universally seem to shut down in 1604? Well, it's because the author stopped breathing. Right. So when did William Shakespeare die? 1616, 12 years later. Okay. And he, re- he retired back home to his, uh, you know, big Stratford. house or whatever from his, you know, payola. Yeah. And didn't do anything. And that's also anti-artist. Like, at the peak of your powers, you know, you're right. this kind of creator, and you just stop and never go back to London. And Right. Even John Lennon just took a couple of years off, and then he started writing again. <laughs> yeah, you can't stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, watching the wheels. But, um, so, um, <laughs> the, uh, so did, uh, did Shakespeare himself, to your knowledge? Um, so he supposedly stopped writing in 1604 as well? Well, okay. No, it's not getting published. You know, like stuff is right. published. Or oh, after 1604. Nobody, there's not that much knowledge about, like, okay, there's nobody knows when something was written. You can't right. prove when anything was written. Nope. Because then it's performed, and they don't have that much record of the performance. Right. And then published is all they really have. But what is published? Something can be published at any time. Right. But it has to be written by that point, and... Um, and yes. so we, we have, you know, we yep. have the, the publication record of these plays. Astonishingly, the Shakespeare, you know, the, the Shakespeare factory is just churning out new plays, new poems in the 1590s and the early 1600s. And then 1604, there's another line in the sand. It's like, what happened? There are no new Shakespeare works that appear in print after 1604, with one exception. There's this brief window, 1608 to 1609, when De Vere's widow was selling their their estate. Um, and I think some stuff snuck out under the, uh, uh, you know, sort of under the fence okay. in 1608, 1609. But basically, the Shakespeare factory seems to have shut down in 1604, the year that Edward de Vere died. How old was Edward de Vere when he died? 54. <clears throat> How old was Shakespeare when he died? Uh, was it 56? Something like that. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. And so the music I'm working with. Oh, wait a second. No, 52. I'm sorry. Okay. The music I'm working with is yeah, similar with this to... time frame. And very similar to the the William Shakespeare, uh, you know, fake guy front in that uh, uh, it was supposedly written by a 19, 20-year-old country boy, and it's... This is this Thomas Wilkes guy, Thomas right? Thomas Wilkes. Is the How do you spell Wilkes? W-E-E-L-K-E-S. Okay. And, and supposedly Thomas Wilkes wrote all of this music? Yes, and there were only three collections of music. That were published uh, between 1597 and 1600. There's 60 songs, so it's a lot of material in three years. In three years, a lot of material. It's really sophisticated, uh, sophisticated music and full the, orchestra. It's uh, madrigals. Okay. So the songs. Define that. Okay. Madrigals 
they are like a small singing group, like three, four, five, six voices. But a cappella? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like doo-wop. Oh, right, right. Doo-wop. Sweet. And <laughs> the lyrics are genius. They're at turns, you know, funny or tragic. There's puns. Uh, there are actual Shakespeare references in, in oh, the wow. songs. Um, like Kiss Me Kate, Kiss Me Kate is, is one of them. Okay. Um, and, uh, the subject matter is very sophisticated, uh, about falconry and courtly love. And right. it's not a country teenager could, could, could not have written this music. He could not have gotten it, gotten no. it published. There was no cable. The, yeah. <laughs> the equality of, of, of the information being de- de- um, disseminated yeah. uh, was not, uh, was not uh, universal. So, um, so, and it all happened at this time, 1597 to 1600. All this, all this music was published, and you know, there's lots of connections between the the publisher and. Uh, so these these are these madrigals were unaccompanied. Yeah, were they, they eventually were, accompanied? Like, no, are they? They, they were some, and also, so uh, you'd have to have access to uh, to fantastic musicians to be performing this work. Okay. And, uh, so, so people are reading music when they're singing. I uh, I come from a marching band uh-huh. uh, background, uh-huh. so um, I I don't I know that you can write music for voice. Uh-huh. Um, that's exactly what's happening. Is, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a small um, group, and uh, but people in the court they had their own little singing group. Okay. They, uh, Edward Devere had a tumbling group, uh, a boys theater group, like. This is what you had. You didn't have cable, so you had your tumblers. Right, right. You know, Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of different in your troops house, get together. In your, household. in your household, they were the they they were essentially the you, entertainment troupe. You patronized them. Okay. And you fed them and. Oh yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, people in the court they did have a little choir. You know, yeah. That, that could perform this stuff, but a you know country teenager uh, would, would not, not have it. would not have that. Uh, but he could have been part of it. So who who? No, do you I think, think he was. Uh, I haven't. You know, figured out the connection, but I think he was just somebody. Somebody knew him, and he was paid to use his name because uh, to publish was beneath this guy that was that was. And do we speculate who this guy was? Who Thomas Wilkes was? Well, no, the actual who wrote it. Yeah, I think Edward Devere wrote it as the music for the early plays. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's that, that. I should add. That's that's a, 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 a secondary kind of sure. the, an add-on theory to the Oxfordian theory. Um, I think it's an interesting one. I personally don't know enough to 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 go one way or the other. But I'm I I saw the show Fa La La last night, and I and I think you know if it comes to your town, I urge people to check it out because oh, it's really right. great. I mean, it's just it's so. Um, well, I, yeah, yeah Elizabethanial. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So what? It's um, but um, you said that it's a cello rock. Well, so the music was published for uh for vocalists, but alternately viol consort. Okay. Was an early form of cello. So okay. They intended this music could be played by uh you know five cellists or five singers, but we've combined it and we are five singing cellists. Oh my God! I need to see it. I need to see it. <laughs> and we have a drummer, and uh, some of the stuff I do, we do very straight as it's written. Okay. And some of it I've uh, rearranged and refashioned, and it's very exciting. And even though it's so old, like it's just so so such old music, 
I felt like we did something really new last night. It felt very current, yeah. Is, is the follow-up um, a new production, like a new piece? Yeah, I would for call you guys? it a work in progress. Okay. Last night. Yeah. So what? What other? What other? Shows have you put up with with your group with the, with the um, Rasputin has existed as a band for about twenty years. Okay, <clears throat> um, I toured with Nirvana as their cellist on their last tour. Sweet. I'm, okay, that's I'm amazing. Original rock cellist. Okay, <laughs> one of the original rock. You would say you're it. Uh, I'm the definitely ch- a pioneer. That's awesome. <laughs> I love the cello. Is one of my favorite instruments. It's a gorgeous thing. It's kept me captivated all these years. My yeah. Time. <laughs> Did you? Um, did you start uh, very young? Um, yeah, I started piano at five and cello at nine. And, okay. Uh, then I went to art school, and I think a lot. Did of- you grow up here in this in New York? Or- I grew up in Kansas. In Kansas. Then I- wow, we're in Kansas. Came here on a tornado. Oh yeah, exactly. You leave your shoes. Emporia, so. Kansas. Emporia, Kansas. It. Very nice. Well, no, no, I don't know it. You know, I've never done stand up in Kansas. It's one of the only states in the union I've never <laughs> been to. I've driven through it. Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> I've driven through it, had a flat tire, four different full pickup trucks stopped. They all had full craftsman uh, socket sets. Uh, yeah, they were help- very helpful, very sweet people. <laughs> it does help to be white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be a nice white lady. And uh, But it was, uh, oh, that's cool. So you you toured with Nirvana. Uh-huh. And then my group toured with, uh, Rasputina toured with Marilyn Manson. Okay. Back at his peak of notoriety and mm-hmm. we were on Sony for a couple records and uh it's been and it's always been R- Rasputina? Yeah. Okay. So people should look for those albums and Yeah, um, we've got lots of albums. And you're still going. touring obviously, uh because yep. you're here in New York City. Yep. Where uh what are some dates uh in February? Um February nothing in March. Uh we're playing something nice at the Philadelphia Museum of Art for an outsider art show. Okay. And I'm gonna do a special collection of uh, I have a lot of songs that are kind of about outsider characters. Okay. So I'm do my outsider character <laughs> songs. Sweet. And we're playing uh, at Irving Plaza in the city at the end of March and in Boston, I think. Okay. And is it um, Rasputina.com? Yeah. Okay. So people should just check that for the schedule anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, your book on Amazon. It, yeah, Shakespeare by another name. Can is, you also get it and as a paperback? You can get it uh, in in paper version and e-version uh, all through uh, the website shakespearebyanothername.com. Right on. There's a very active Facebook discussion group that you can go to through that website. It's called Shakespeare. I love to word. hang out there <clears throat> It's just, it is so hardcore. You know, it is so, <laughs> it's, right, it's, it's, it's a dork so, forest all of its own. It is right, so right. deep into the details. That's so and right. I have bored my husband. <laughs> you know, I, Two tears. Yeah. The first time I talked to Mark, you know, we did an interview on the phone. It was, you know, I got to talk to an authority. It was the first time I talked to anybody <laughs> who knew, who really knew anything right. about this. Oh my god, it was a time of my life. <laughs> That's I, it is kind of awesome just to sit down and really just dig a root around in the thing that you love. Yeah. That's so great. What are some of your favorite works of Shakespeare? Um, I haven't I haven't read that much Shakespeare or seen that much Shakespeare. The sonnets I do. Those love. are your favorites you yeah. were saying. And and this music is so intense intense and so much work. Like I've just had to to work on this music. Sure, sure. It's um you have a favorite sonnet that I should maybe read? Can you think of one? Uh, there's, like? there's short. Is it a hundred? Is it a hundred? There's 154 of them. 
You, you meant like how many sonnets yeah. are there? Yeah, there's 154. Okay. I'm going to look up you one. You pulled up a book. Yeah, I pulled up the, the complete works. His own. Oh, Shakespeare by another. Holy criminy. I was hoping it's it was bad. smaller than that. that one. Well, uh, although it's, it, I, I had to, I had, this is a battle, folks. Uh, this, there, there are plenty of people who, uh, want to say that we're just, you know, we don't know what we're talking about, blah, blah, blah. So okay, I, this so is, this is end notes and supplemental and- material. Cause I have to, when, you know, when making the, the story, uh, when telling the story of De Vere as Shakespeare, you've got to be able to defend every single statement you make okay. or you're going to be attacked. Right. And so I did that. Okay. But so the story itself is, it reads like a novel. I mean, okay. it is cradle to grave and this, he led the most Shakespearean life you could imagine. But right. he also writes about his own Sort of alienation. Very small. He he writes about very dense book. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I'll read it. I promise I'll read it. Um, But but I mean he writes and I'm going to see if I can find like Sonnet 72 would be a good example where he's talking about this. He being Shakespeare, the author of the sonnets, is talking about how his name is going to be lost. I mean, he says it right there in his works, and I'm just see if I can find it. You go ahead and talk to much yourself well, while I, while I okay, dig this one so, out. It's well, a good example. Um, you know, I'm a rock musician, and usually rock musicians come from being a fan. Yeah. Like, I want, you know, I want to have that audience, or I want to be like John Lennon, my idol, or usually they do. But since I originally came from classical music and I went to art school, it was more like uh, an experiment in rock for me that I just yeah. fell into that, that worked. So I never came from being a fan. But this... Edward DeVere subject. I'm a real fan for the first time. Like I bought the photo book from the movie and uh, <laughs> did did that what is that what sort of got you into it? Because I mean you yeah. you've been playing music of a sort like of that age for um, some time, or is this new as well? It happened kind of at the same time okay. that I uh, became interested in William Byrd, who is a very respected Renaissance composer. Okay, and I wanted to study that music and get some of those ideas into me for my own music. Okay. Like, I'm going to do some Renaissance influence. Yeah. And then really at the same time, you know, beautiful synchronicity. Yeah. I saw the movie and read his book and it all came together. It all came together. Yeah. That is amazing. It's, um, there is a God. There is a God <laughs> and we are talking to him. <laughs> so, this is, this is really fascinating. It's okay. Did you find it? Well, I have, I have an excerpt of, of some of these sonnets. Um, and in, cause I, my book, I had to basically not only tell DeVere's life, but then bring in the entire Shakespeare canon right. to it because every so single much. one of the, every single one of these plays are just little glimpses, little aspects of his life. You can only do this with one person. This is, you know, this goes so far beyond the level of coincidence, like Orson Welles right. said. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, so, so, um, so here's, you know, like some examples from some of the sonnets, um, uh, sonnet 72, you know, he says, after my death, dear love, forget me quite, unless you would devise, these are just some excerpts, unless you would devise some virtuous lie, my name be buried where my body is and live no more to shame, nor me, nor you, for I am shamed by that which I bring forth. And so should you to love things, nothing worth. So the author is saying, my name is buried where my right. body is. My, I'm, my name will be lost forever, though my works will live on. That's right. what the author of the Shakespeare sonnets is saying. And, yeah. and so, to he, me, he said shame like three times. And it's kind of involved with the, the work, like, you know, that yeah. I've brought shame with, you know, my trifles and my 
right. roly public because like to be involved in the theater was like right. low class. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. Did you guys see my favorite year? Yeah, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Peter O'Toole, Mark Lynn Baker. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at one point, Peter O'Toole is hanging on a rope, and these two guys. He says, "You know, um, the Peter O'Toole character. I can't remember his name. He goes." Uh, he's beneath us. He goes, yes. yes <laughs> <laughs> he's hanging on a rope. <laughs> so Peter O'Toole would be a good Devere. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, um, so what would you, um, yeah, I love, I, you have inspired me. You have inspired oh, me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. What, uh, um, the last question mark is, uh, what, how did, I guess, how did it, um, so you read in college, obviously, you read Shakespeare. You studied Shakespeare as a writer. I came to it after college, really. I mean, I, I, I'm, I am a dork twice over. I'm a Shakespeare dork, but also a science dork. So, um. <clears throat> I'm an orchestra dork. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and, band. Right. <laughs> they are all really dorky. Um, they are pretty. But, um, but yeah, so when I first in like the mid, no, in 1993 or so, I first came upon the story of of Devere as Shakespeare, and I had read some Shakespeare in college, and just you know, I'd seen some of the plays and seen some of the movie adaptations, but it was really only when I discovered Devere's story and just the tremendous connection to be had okay. um, that I really went and just dove full fathom five into the whole canon. That makes perfect sense um, because I'm, you know, I mean, I'm kind of a DVD extras dork. Like I love, you know, I, yeah. I love getting the DVD and then. And then going to the other stuff and then to hearing from the screenwriter and the director like this. But what really happened in this movie and the, re- the reason this yeah. movie came about was, and it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Did you uh, like go to England and look at the real papers? or? What was- yeah, it, especially Italy. I think Italy, Shakespeare, from an Oxfordian perspective, becomes so much more continental. It's, he's not just Shakespeare of England. He's Shakespeare of Renaissance Europe. Okay. And, he, and in a way, and essentially from an Oxfordian point of view, Shakespeare becomes the distillation of the Italian Renaissance into England. Okay. Uh, because he is, he is importing the Commedia dell'arte which right. is the reigning kind of theatrical style of the age, he's bringing that to England. And the right. madrigals are exactly the same. It was an Italian form of music that oh. he brought, I believe, he brought from Italy yeah. to England, right. and made English culture and made, you know, really great English culture that still is respected today, that's, you know, fantastic. The stuff he brought back yep. and made it their own. Okay. That is amazing. All right. This has been the best hour. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for oh, doing thank this. Thank you, it was a blast. All right. Thank you, Jackie. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we, you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?